death, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Reconciled to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The light has come. That's what we're celebrating this season in our family, the Christmas season, when Jesus Christ came into the world, the light that gave us hope, that gave us joy, and a glorious future. In this series, Signs of the Season, we're going to be looking at different biblical characters who were a part of the Christmas story and seeing exactly what signs guided them to Christ. We're going to start out with a man named Simeon, and he really is underrated in the Christmas story. He doesn't have a figurine at the nativity. He doesn't have any songs written about him. He doesn't have any pictures that I see at other people's houses. Uh, Simeon doesn't get a lot of press, but he played a very significant role that we're going to talk about today and testifying to who Jesus Christ was. So we encourage you to open your Bibles up. And turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to be studying verses 21 through 38. Let's dive in here. On the eighth day, when it's time to circumcise him, that's Christ, 
He was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. Now, on the eighth day, all Jewish males were circumcised. This was uncommon in the world in that day. Most men were not circumcised, but God commanded the Jewish people to be circumcised for several reasons. One was that it was a sign that they were God's chosen people. They were unique. Another reason was because it symbolized the cutting away of sin. In the New Testament, it talks about our hearts being circumcised, the idea of the sinful nature being cut away. It's also traditional on the eighth day for the child to receive his name. And the angel had specifically told Mary and Joseph that that name would be Jesus, which meant Savior. That, of course, is the most appropriate name for the Christ, the Savior. Well, we move on to verse 22. It says, When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. It says, first of all, that uh, there was a purification. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament ceremonial law, there were times when a person became ceremonially unclean. They couldn't go to the temple and worship. They couldn't touch holy and sacred things. They were restricted in other ways. So Mary had become impure ceremonially by having a child. Now, how can that happen? Well, one of the reasons was is that she had given birth to a sinner. Now, again, she had not given birth to a sinner. Let me rephrase that in the sense that that was the reason for the purification, that most women give birth to sinners except for Mary, uh, who had given birth to Jesus Christ, who was not a sinner. But she had to go through the traditional customs of that day And uh, it's true when you think about it. We're all sinners when we're born. In fact, David, the psalmist said in Psalm 51, I was sinful when I was conceived. See, many people who have a goods work framework think that the first sin is committed and a person becomes a sinner when they make a conscious choice, maybe at the age of two, I don't know. (laughs) And, And they sin and that makes them a sinner. Well, no. From the time of conception, the heredity of a sinful nature is passed down through the generations. So before even a baby is born, it's a sinner, it is a sinful nature, and it's condemned. Now, I wouldn't recommend you going up to a couple with a new baby and say, what a cute little sinner. (laughs) It's true, but maybe not the appropriate time to share that with them. They'll figure that out sooner or later. But uh, the idea here is that if you're born a sinner, you're born condemned. So it doesn't even make sense to talk about good works because you're condemned already. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. And that's the whole point of the gospel is that you are powerless on your own. You can't save yourself. You're already condemned. You need Jesus Christ and the gift of salvation that he has for you. Well, Jesus wasn't a sinner, but she went through this purification process anyway, just to obey the law. And it was a 40-day period for 
male children. <clears throat> and there was an 80-day purification period for female children. Now, let that speak for itself. Uh, maybe it says that women are more sinful. I'm not sure. There's more time of purification needed for women. Uh, I doubt that, but uh, <laughs> it's fun to think about. Uh, so, uh, after this purification time, they were to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice. They were also going to go to the temple to present the child to the Lord. Now, they didn't need to go to the temple to do this. She didn't need to go to the temple to present the sacrifice, but they chose to do this. So this is over and above what people were expected to do. Because, number one, they were very righteous. The Bible is very clear about the fact that Mary and Joseph were very righteous. And they always did the right thing because they wanted to honor God. And on top of that, of course, most importantly, they had the Son of God as their child. And, of course, they're going to dedicate him to the Lord. Remember when Hannah dedicated Samuel to the Lord? How she brought him to the temple? Well, this is similar to what she did. We go on to verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, if you were wealthier at this particular time, what you would do is you would sacrifice a lamb. But they didn't have a lot of money. So they sacrificed turtle doves, possibly. Uh, but they migrated. So if you couldn't find a turtle dove, you had to go for a pigeon. You can always find a pigeon. Isn't that true? <laughs> you can always find a pigeon. So they brought the pigeons before the Lord to be sacrificed to end this purification period. We look at verse 25 and we get to the character that we're going to be talking about today. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. We don't know a lot about Simeon. Simeon was one of the tribes of Israel. So there's a lot of guys named Simeon. That doesn't tell us a whole lot. But it does tell us that he was righteous and devout. Righteous and devout. That says a lot about Simeon. You have to understand that when Jesus Christ was born into the world, when he was born into this culture of Israel, it was a very dark time spiritually. It was a dark time because the people were not obeying God. It had been 400 years since God had communicated with people. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, was the last time God had communicated with his people. And there had been 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And people were going every which way. You had the Pharisees and they were focused on the law. They were do-gooders, and they focused on being legalistic and doing the right thing without the right type of heart. Then you had the Sadducees, who were the governors. They were concerned about power, and they didn't even believe that you should interpret the Scriptures, that was the Old Testament in that day, in a literal way. So these prophecies about Christ meant nothing to them. Then you had the Zealots, and they were only concerned about overthrowing Rome. So people were pursuing their spiritual lives in different ways, but there was a remnant, a remnant, just a small portion of people that were still committed to God. They were still committed to God. They still believed 
that God was for them. They still obeyed God. They still honored God. They still had the right type of heart. And Mary and Joseph were part of the remnant. And, of course, Simeon was part of the remnant. And as you read throughout the Old Testament, when the people of Israel were moving away from God, there always was a holy remnant. People who were still honoring God. So he was righteous and devout, very committed to the Lord. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Consolation. What does it mean to console someone? Well, it means to comfort them. It means to care for them. And because of Simeon's vast understanding of the Old Testament, he knew that this was a Messiah. The Messiah was the one who was going to comfort Israel. We go back to the Old Testament in Isaiah, and we read about how God wants to comfort us. Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. And the Messiah was coming to comfort his people. That was God's desire. We go back to our passage in Luke, and we see that Simeon had the Holy Spirit upon him. Now, this is very important to understand. We who are Christ followers today, when we made that decision to receive God's gift of salvation and put our trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit came into us. He, he indwelled us. And we don't fully appreciate that. Because you see, back in the Old Testament... God dwelt within the Holy of Holies in the temple. But now he dwells within us. Isn't that an amazing thing? So before the church began, we read upon the Holy Spirit, read about the Holy Spirit coming on people for special anointings, special jobs that they were to do. And Simeon is an example. He had a special role in that he was to identify the Messiah. And so the Holy Spirit was leading him. We go on to some different things that Simeon knew very well. Prophecies about the Christ child from the Scriptures. For example, Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Call him Emmanuel. So you see a sign, a sign of the season, a sign of prophecy. A virgin will be with child. So Simeon knew that the Messiah was going to be born into this world, that he was going to be born in a miraculous way. He was going to be born to a virgin, and that his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. What else did Simeon know? Well, in Micah 5, 2, he knew this prophecy, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So he knew that the baby would be born in Bethlehem. And of course it says whose origins are from of old. Well, that's an understatement. Jesus Christ uh, is eternal. He's always existed, right? And that he was going to be a ruler someday. That's what Simeon knew about the Messiah. We continue. Psalm 118.22 speaks of Christ as well. 
The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Now, back in that day, when they constructed a stone house, they would choose the stones very carefully, and they would work them in order that they might fit together. And sometimes a stone just wouldn't work. So they would throw it to the side and say, we're not going to use a stone for that building. So that's the idea. They're casting this stone aside, not usable. But in the end, it says, they first rejected it, but now it's become the capstone. The capstone was the final stone that was laid in a building. Many times it was in the gate of the building. It was the most important stone, the cornerstone, one might say, as we put it today. That's why cornerstone is used so much, and Jesus Christ is called the cornerstone. But he's the capstone. He's the most important stone. And who rejected this stone? Well, Israel rejected the stone, right? They crucified the stone. They said, no, Jesus is not our Messiah. But of course, he was the Messiah, and he established his church, and now he is the leader of the church, and he is the capstone. So, Simeon knew this, that Jesus Christ was going to be rejected, but eventually, of course, prevail. He also knew the nature of Christ's life, Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. That's the type of life that Christ took on for us in order that we might have freedom. He came down to live the perfect life and to sacrifice his body and his life for us. And he went through this type of suffering. Then we read the passage we reflected upon during communion. Surely he took up our affirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, to what degree Simeon understood the meaning behind that, we're not sure. But certainly he knew that Jesus Christ was going to suffer for us, the Messiah was. We look at Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Does a song come to mind? <laughs> like the hallelujah chorus, right? Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is a two-part prophecy. When you look at verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, that's the first part of the prophecy that was fulfilled during Christ's first coming. But then it goes on to the second part, and the government will be on his shoulders. Well, that didn't happen when Christ was first here on earth. He wasn't a ruler. That's coming later, right? That's coming when he comes back to earth to rule during the millennium. But people in the Old Testament didn't know that. And that's why many people thought that Jesus Christ was the Messiah 
And when he came, he was going to set up government and overthrow the Romans because of prophecies like this. They didn't know that there was a wide gap between him coming as a child and, of course, giving his life and then coming back to rule at a later time. But again, Simeon knew this prophecy, that a child would be born. Now, prophecy is such a powerful tool uh, to use with people who do not yet believe in Christ or have not yet made that decision. And they say, how can I know that Jesus Christ was the Messiah? Well, there's many resources out there that you can cap into that talk about that there are over 100 prophecies that refer to Jesus Christ's first coming, that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the possibilities of one man fulfilling all these promises are astronomical. Let's look at this list here. These are seven different prophecies that were fulfilled by Christ and the statistical odds of one man fulfilling them. Jesus would be a descendant of David. Oh, there are a lot of descendants of David, so that's like one in 10,000. Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. It was a small town, so one in 100,000. Jesus would be a miracle worker. Well, there were different miracle workers, claimed to be miracle workers, one in 100,000. Jesus would present himself as a king riding on a donkey. Now, that's a little more odd. Okay, so we'll say one in a million. Jesus would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. More rare, one in a million. Jesus would be crucified. True, there were many crucifixions, but in relationship to the general population, that's still one in a million. And finally, Jesus would first present himself as king, 173,880 days from the decree of Artaxerxes to rebuild Jerusalem. That's, again, a one in a million. So you combine all those, saying one man fulfills all these prophecies found in the Old Testament, prophecies written hundreds, thousands of years before this man showed up on the scene. It's one in 100 billion, 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 billion. Friends, that's proof that Jesus Christ was the Messiah because he fulfilled all those prophecies. And as I studied this, it inspired me, and I want to encourage you as well, in knowing the Word of God. Simeon was a student of the Word of God. And really, all educated Jewish people were because that was kind of their reader, one might say, back in that day. As they went through the educational process, they were always studying the scriptures, and that's how they learned and uh, grew educationally. Uh, so the Jewish people knew the scriptures very well, but Simeon loved the scriptures. Simeon embraced the scriptures. Simeon believed the scriptures, that these were literal prophecies that were going to be fulfilled, and he was waiting for the Messiah to come. My question for you and I is, how much do we love the Word of God? How much do we embrace it? How much do we read it? How much do we memorize it? How much do we seek to apply it to our lives? I would encourage you as a Christmas gift to Jesus. It's his birthday, right? Christmas gift to Jesus this year is to say, okay, from now until the end of December, I'm going to spend some time in God's Word. Go back to the idea of the first 10 minutes of the day, first 10 or more Minutes that I have, discretionary time to set aside, to read the Bible and to pray. I'm going to give that as a gift to the Lord. I'm going to go closer to Him. Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey of getting to know God's Word, take it up a notch this month and be like Simeon. Well, we go back to our passage. 
It had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, this is really quite profound when you think about this. Simeon was told by the Holy Spirit that you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. These prophecies have been around for thousands and thousands of years. And he said, you're going to see the Messiah. It'd be like if... uh, The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Dan, you're not going to die until you see the Cubs win the World Series. And I say, oh, that's going to be next year. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, think about how Simeon lived in expectation. Now, we don't know exactly when the Holy Spirit spoke to Simeon. It could have been a month before he saw the Messiah. It could have been... A year, it could have been five years before he saw the Messiah. So every day he would wake up in expectation. Am I going to see the Messiah today? Now, true, he was born, but he didn't know if the Messiah was five years old, 10 years old, 20 years old. He didn't know. So it could come from anywhere. But every day he woke up saying, is this the day? And I think we can be inspired in that way, knowing, of course, as we studied during the spring, that Jesus Christ is coming back to take us home in the rapture. And that could happen at any time. It could happen today. And we need to live with that type of expectancy, not thinking, okay, I've got, you know, how many years left in my life to serve the Lord? No, not necessarily. One thing, you might die. And secondly, Jesus Christ might come back. So every day is critical. Every day is important to do whatever you can to serve the Lord, to walk with Jesus, to let him live through you, to live in expectancy of Jesus Christ returning. Well, we move on here. Move by the Spirit. Now, again, you see, there's the Spirit. That's very important also for us to realize that in our spiritual lives, we need to be constantly listening to the Spirit, constantly asking the Spirit to speak to us, to guide us in what He wants us to do and how He wants to approach life, to listen to the Spirit communicating to us. And Simeon was listening to the Spirit. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Now, a lot of people, when they read this passage, assume that Simeon was a priest and he was on duty that day, and that's how he met Mary and Joseph. I don't think so. We don't know for sure. But notice it says that he was moved by the Spirit. And that's why he went to the temple that day. The tribe of Levi, they were the priests. They were the ones who served. Uh, It was kind of like the National Reserves. They would serve two weeks a year. So they would have their normal jobs. And then two weeks a year they would go and serve at the temple and do all the things the priests do. And then they would go home. Now, if Simeon was a priest, he would have already been there. But it says he was moved by the Spirit. Even if he had been a priest, he wasn't on duty, I don't think, that day. So he went into the temple courts. Another thing you have to do is imagine this, okay? You've got the temple, and you've got all these courts surrounding it, different courts for different purposes. Nobody went into the temple except for the priests. So if you went to the temple, you were just near the temple. And they had the court of women. And that's the only court that the women could go into. So if Mary and Joseph are going to the temple to dedicate Jesus Christ, they had to go into the court of women. And there were people there for all kinds of reasons. They were making sacrifices. They were worshiping. They were praying. 
It was a huge crowd. So you got Mary and Joseph in the crowd, and then you have Simeon in the crowd, and the Holy Spirit brought them together. Now we read on here in verse 28, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. Now, wait, wait, ho, ho, wait. we're missing something there, right? How, how did that happen? That's why most people assume Simeon was a priest. But I don't think so. Luke was a doctor. He's the author, Luke, obviously the gospel. And he was very accurate in his descriptions and his history, especially as he wrote the book of Acts as well. Uh, but he was a minimalist in the sense that he didn't share anything that he didn't have to share, per se. Okay, he got right to the point. So he kind of, maybe he doesn't include some things here. Let's go back to the other verse, all right? Verse 27 it says, when the parents brought in the child, Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. And then you go to the next verse again. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Are you saying that they met and he just took the baby out of the arms and started praying over him? I don't think so. I think that they started to engage in conversation. Simeon said, hey, the Holy Spirit has led me to you too. What's, I don't know what the conversation was, but Mary and Joseph told their story, as Simeon told his story, and he realized it was a Messiah. And of course, at some point in the conversation, they gave him the child to pray a blessing over him. And that's when this kicked in, I believe. And he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. Can you imagine how Simeon felt when he realized that the promise had been fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit had spoken to him. Amazing. Who knows how long he had waited. Maybe ten years he had waited for this day. But here in the midst of the temple courts, the courts of the women, he meets these two very young people, 14, 15, 16 years old, and they're holding the Messiah. And now he's holding the Messiah. And he's filled with emotion. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you promised me. You dismiss, you now dismiss your servant in peace. He's saying, I'm ready to go home, Lord. <laughs> Send the chariot. <laughs> Take me home. I want to be with you. You have given me all that you, you wanted to give me. Have you ever said that? Take me home, Lord. Not because of problems in your life. <laughs> but take me home because I am totally satisfied. And I want to go home to be with you. How beautiful is that? Yeah. You see, Simeon had a passion for people. He had a passion for the people of Israel. They were lost. They were going the wrong direction. They were rejecting God. And he wanted the Messiah to come because he knew that the Messiah would solve that problem. That he would bring the people back to him. And once he saw the Messiah, and we make an assumption that he was an older man, he's saying, okay, now that the Messiah is here, I can check out. Because the Messiah is going to take care of things. The Messiah is going to provide salvation for the people of Israel. We need to have the same type of passion that Simeon had for the lost people around us. I don't know about you, but I can grow callous to the people around me. I grow callous to my neighbors who don't know the Lord, and I grow callous to people that I run into on a regular basis who don't know the Lord. Because I get the feeling like, well, you know, I, I don't think these people are ever going to come to Jesus just because of the way they live and the way they think and conversations I've had with them in the past. You do that? 
write people off in your mind, that's a lost cause, that's a lost cause, that's a lost cause, you know. That's one reason we become cold in our passion to see lost people come to know the Lord. Another thing, just distractions. Oh, there's a song, especially this season. Lord, I don't have time to reach lost people this season. I'm too busy. Let's wait till January, okay? When I have some free time. <laughs> How twisted is that? <laughs> right? <laughs> this is one of the best times to reach people because they have a spiritual sensitivity. It's Christmas. It's Jesus' birthday. You can build on that, right? No doubt. We've got to pray that the Lord would open our hearts and remove those calluses and to look at people that we've known, maybe people in our family that we've known for a long, 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 too long, right? <laughs> you know, and say, yeah, there's hope here. You know, God can do miracles in these people's lives. Pray to the Lord that he would open your, your heart again to the people around you that you've written off. Pray that you take some time this season to focus in on the most important thing, the reason for Christmas that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now we move on here. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory and for glory to your people, Israel. So he's seen the salvation, the Messiah in his arms, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So Simeon knew that the Messiah was not just coming for the people of Israel, but he was coming for Gentiles. Now, I'm excited about that because I'm a Gentile. I'm a non-Jew. we have any Jewish friends out here today? Anybody? Oh, yes. Jeff Silberfine. No doubt. No doubt. Has uh, identified his uh, Messiah. That's wonderful. Praise the Lord. Yeah, well, the rest of us, though, we like this verse a whole lot, right? <laughs> because we're all Gentiles, right? Thank God he opened up the offer to the whole world and not just kept it to the Jews. I mean, Jeff would have been fine, but the rest of us, you know, we would have had a real problem here, right? No doubt. So that's, that's a wonderful verse. And Simeon knew that. It's for everybody now. It's for the whole world, this offer of salvation and for the glory to your people, Israel. We move on. It says the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about them or him. You got to imagine Mary and Joseph and, and Oh, you got them at the nativity scene, and we tend to dehumanize Mary and Joseph, especially Mary, oh my, you know. Uh, she was just an ordinary teenage girl that loved the Lord a whole lot. That's who Mary was, and that's why he chose her. And they, they had their first kid. Remember when you had your first child? Remember how that rocked your world? Like, wow, everything went upside down, right? When you had that first kid, and everything revolved around that kid instead of you too <laughs> okay yeah well that's what mary and joseph were going through they've been caring for this child for 40 days now and it's interesting to think okay who knew about the messiah we know elizabeth and zacharias the parents of john the baptist knew the shepherds of course uh they knew but beyond that who knew and did they believe i think it was a very 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 small group so they're caring for this child, which they know is the Messiah. They believe it, but nobody's really giving them any affirmation. The shepherds are gone. Mary and Elizabeth live way far away. And so they go up to the temple, and out of the blue, this guy named Simeon comes up and says, The Messiah! Can you imagine how encouraging 
That must have been to Mary and Joseph. Hey, yeah, this, you know, maybe after a month they're saying, this is just a usual kid. I mean, he's like the kid down the street, the baby that was born the day before. <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking, but when you go to the temple court and somebody comes out of the blue and says, you've got the Messiah. I think it was very encouraging to them. So it was a progressive type of thing with them in terms of realizing exactly who they were parenting uh, here. They marveled. And in verse 34, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. Now notice he says, said to Mary, his mother. Why not Joseph? Well, I believe that the things he's talking about happens after Joseph dies. The last time we see Joseph is when Jesus was in the temple talking to the teachers and they're upset with him because he hadn't come home with them and that type of thing. That's the last time we see him. So I don't think Joseph obviously is around. And so Mary... Uh, was the one this is directed at because she was going to go through this. Now, you think you have the Messiah. Oh, isn't that great news? Well, Simeon's a little bit of a downer here. Uh, he said, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Any more encouragement, Simeon, <laughs> you want to give me now? Yeah, this child, Jesus Christ, was going to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. For those who believed in him, they're going to rise, right? Their lives will get better. Uh, but if they reject him, they're going to fall. And to be a sign that will be spoken against. Many people will be angry against a sign from God. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And that's the issue about Jesus is when people see Jesus, they have to respond by receiving or rejecting him. So their thoughts are revealed about if Jesus really is the Messiah. He's the one who forces the question, are you going to follow God or are you not going to follow God? And a sword will pierce Mary's soul as well. Imagine Mary standing at the cross, seeing her son crucified. Simeon was prophesying about that experience. Jesus Christ is a stumbling block. This was prophesied back in Isaiah 8:14. But for both houses of Israel, Jesus will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Jesus Christ is the key issue in everybody's life. The most important question that anybody has to answer on this earth is who is Jesus Christ and what are you going to do about him? What are you going to do about Jesus Christ? Here's an evangelistic tool you can use if you're talking with somebody who's unsure about who Jesus Christ is. You can say, well, who's Jesus Christ? And usually they'll say a good teacher. Well, the problem with that is that Jesus Christ claimed to be God. Jesus Christ claimed to be the only way to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. Well, that's quite a statement, isn't it? If I stood up here today and said, I just want to let you guys know something I've been kind of keeping under wraps for a while here. I'm God. I'm deity. And we're going to have the worship team come out right now. And I'm going to stand up here, and you're all going to worship me. Well, I'm pretty sure this would be an empty building real quickly. <laughs> I said, Ethel, we shouldn't have come here. I told you that. <laughs> it was a call, just like the guy said. <laughs> That's how you would respond, right? So you ask your friend, okay, you got three options with Jesus. 
The three L's. Either he's a liar, right? He's lying to try to manipulate people. Or he's lost his mind. That's what you'd think about me, right? I was lying to manipulate you, or I'd probably just lost my mind. A liar, a lunatic, or he's who he say he is. He's a Lord. People only have three options. If people throw the good teacher at you, you just gently say, well, you know, he did claim to be God. That's kind of strange, isn't it? And then you just, you just say, hey, you know, I think there's three choices you have to make about Jesus. He, he was lying about being God. He was crazy about that he said he was God, or he actually was God. And then based upon the relationship with the dynamics, then you say, what's your take on Jesus? Which of the three? You only have three choices. Jesus Christ is a stumbling block. People don't want Jesus because of their pride. They, they want to do it on their own. They want to earn their way to heaven. They want to be a good moral person. They don't need Jesus. Yeah, they do need Jesus. And if they reject him, they're going to face punishment. Well, what's really interesting here is another person comes on the scene named Anna. And she also testifies to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Lord. There was also a prophetess, which basically meant teacher back in that day. She taught the word of God. Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. 84, whoa! That's really old back then. You were fifties and you're you know pretty much gone. <laughs> but eighty-four back in that day, that was a miracle. And her husband had lived long as well, seventy-seven, and he had been de dead for seven years, and was a widow until she was eighty-four. She never left the temple but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. She was totally committed to the temple. How could she never leave the temple? Well, some scholars believe that she was there so much that the priest gave her an apartment just like they had when they stayed there for two weeks, but she stayed there continually because she was a widow and she was ministering on the temple grounds. She never left the temple. Coming up to them, okay, so you got Mary and Joseph and Simeon brought together by the Holy Spirit. Then Anna comes up, and she probably knows Simeon. they probably there so much. She comes up to them at, the very, at that very moment. She gives thanks to God because she realizes what's going on after they share it with her and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, one thing to realize here is Luke was establishing an argument. Back in that day, and even in our day, you need two or three witnesses to establish truth. Two or three witnesses to establish truth. So who are the two or three witnesses? You've got Mary and Joseph. You've got Simeon identifying him as a Messiah, and you have Anna. So that's what Luke was doing for his readers. He was really making an argument. You have three different independent witnesses here saying that this child was the Messiah. But the point that I want to make here is what did she do? She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So she knew the people in the crowd who had been waiting for the Messiah. And I believe that she started to circulate. And she said, hey, come over here. Look at the Messiah. We don't know what happened, but... That's the idea is that she started to talk it up. She started to tell other people. And I think she told people who would have believed her. People who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So there was such excitement that day about the fact that Jesus Christ had arrived. That the Messiah was born. And we need to continue to ask the Lord to fire up that excitement in our own lives. About the incredible opportunity and privilege we have to be a child of God, and how we need to tell other people that.
And I want to really challenge you right now uh, to invite someone in your life out to our Christmas Eve services. We're having two Christmas Eve services this year. We have one on Christmas Eve at 5 p.m. That's the 24th. That's a Friday. But we also have one on Thursday, and that's going to be at 7 p.m. Now, it's very difficult for some people to come out on Christmas Eve because they have family plans or family traditions. But Thursday might be open uh, for them if you ask them soon enough. So this is a week to ask them before they make other plans. Ask them to come and join you for Christmas Eve on Thursday. Now, if they're Christers, right, they go to church on Christmas and Easter. And, uh, well, you know, maybe they've grown away from the church that they usually go to. And, well, whatever, as long as I go to some church and get my brownie points, you know, (laughs) come to our church, you know, and hear the gospel. So uh, I encourage you to do that. Uh, Again, have that be a gift you give to the Lord. Uh, Reaching out, engaging with people because of your excitement of what God has done in your life. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the time you've given us to celebrate who you are. Celebrate what you gave us through Jesus on the cross. Thank you for Simeon and his faithfulness to you. He was just an ordinary guy. Anna was an ordinary lady. They weren't famous. They're not well remembered even though they're in Scripture. And Lord, we're just ordinary people. I pray that we'd be faithful to you in the good news about getting the good news out about the Messiah. In Christ's name, amen. Now, if we could have our ushers come forward at this time. A couple different things I want to make note of. This is our Helping Hand weekend. So we encourage people to give to our Helping Hand offering that we use to help people in need. This past week we helped a family uh, whose electricity had gone out. And uh, there's many different ways we use that fund uh, to encourage people indeed. So thank you for your gifts to that. Also, uh, we have our year-end offering that Rich mentioned. Again, we encourage you to mark that on your envelope or on your check, year-end. Just put year-end down, and hopefully we'll give very generously to that and see God do wonderful things through that gift. Thank you.